What a blessing it is to be here. What a blessing it is to see each one. We ought to count it a high honor to come before the Lord, to sing songs to Him, to, to lift our hearts in praise. We get to do that. With the same mouths, with the same minds that might have spoken against God, which might have spoken against His will, with minds that have, might have doubted Him, yet He in His grace allows us to come before Him and to lift praise to Him. What a blessing and an honor it is. I ask that you would take your Bibles this morning. Let's turn to the text for this morning's message we found in Romans chapter 12. As always, let's stand as we honor the living Word of God as we read it. The Spirit who takes it to our hearts, the Son who bought it, and the Father who gave it. Romans chapter 12, we'll be beginning in verse 9 down through verse 13. We know this is Paul writing to the churches, church at Rome and and has some instructions that we've been spending time in. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Our focus for this morning will be verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints and given to hospitality. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come before you again. We are grateful and we are thankful to come to your presence, to sing, to lift praises, Lord, to be taught. Thank you for this time of preaching, Lord, that you would open your word now to us through your spirit. Help us to see what we need and take the truth to our hearts, each one as individuals, Lord, that we might see our need before you and our need to grow wherever you would have us to, Lord. Even if there is one who does not know you in the free pardon of sin, Lord, that you would please open their eyes to their lost condition and to Christ as Savior. I ask now that you give me the grace to speak what you would have me to, nothing more, nothing less. As always, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I can state with confidence that we here at Faith Baptist believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it. Uh, we believe that of all Scripture. We believe all of Scripture. There's people who would separate the Old Testament and the New Testament. We do not believe that. We believe these 66 books here before us are the very living Word of God. God breathed and given by inspiration, as the Scripture says of itself. We believe the Bible is infallible, which means it is perfect in its whole. And we also believe the Bible is inerrant, which means we believe every word is perfect. We believe the Bible is sufficient, which means it's all we need. I don't need another revelation. I have what God would tell me right here in this book. And we believe the Bible is to be believed fully and followed fully. So therefore, all of Scripture informs and guides and shapes our lives, right? If we want to know what God wants us to do, He's given it to us. By the way, that's amazing. God in His infinite wisdom and His great vast knowledge that we can't even understand, His omniscience, He's given us His will in, a, in our broken, finite little language that we can understand Him. That's amazing. That's grace. But God tells us what we need to know about Him and what He would have us to do in the Bible. 
The Bible tells us who Christ is. And it tells us and shows us how to live and act in such a way that Christ is shown. I mean, after all, that's what a Christian is, right? One who is Christ-like and that's one who we are striving to be. And that is why, all of that to say, that is why we make it an endeavor here to teach and preach every verse of the Bible. Because we can tend to stay camped on certain subjects if we're not careful. And listen, some of them for good reason. We need to know about salvation, don't we? We need to preach about salvation every chance that we get. That Christ is the sacrifice for sin and all who believe in Him can have eternal life because of what He's done on the cross. May that never grow silent in the pulpit. So... We stay there and we talk about sin and we talk about salvation. We talk about the body and being baptized and we talk about the second coming of Christ. And those are things we need to know and we need to stand firm on. But we also need to live what we preach, right? Every day, in every word and every action. And you know what? The Bible just doesn't tell us about salvation. The Bible doesn't tell us um, just about who Christ is, but it tells us how to live in a way that He has shown. And if, as Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says, every word of the Lord is pure, then we need to pay attention to every word, don't we? All that introduction to say... The beauty of expository preaching or the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible is that verses like verse 13 don't get skipped over. Verse 13 is the focus today. Romans 12 and verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. And the subject here is caring for others and not some sentimental like, oh, I care for you. I really hope you get what you need way. No, in a very real way. We're talking about giving and generosity and hospitality. And it just, maybe it's been a while since you heard a sermon on that. I don't think in the five years I've been pastor, I've directly preached a sermon on that. And that's a little bit to my shame, to be honest. But yet, here we have it before us. And these two very practical ways are, are ways that Christ can be immediately evident in our everyday life, aren't they? by our giving, by our generosity, by our hospitality, all these things we'll be talking about. Man, somebody can see that in you and immediately see Christ. Or at least notice there's something different about you. Because let's be honest, you're probably not meeting a lot of caring, generous people in the world at large today, are you? (laughs) No. Things have changed a little bit, haven't they? Well, the goal is to make Christ seen and to make Christ known, isn't it? Well, let's spend some time with that this morning. You see, the Christian life is not an inward-focused life. It's not about us. It's outward-focused. It's about the change that has been made within and working that out so others can be changed by Christ. They can know Him and His salvation and, and walking with Him in fellowship of His body. It's about having that outward focus. The Great Commission does not say stay and get stronger. It says go and make disciples. And you teach them. And I will be with you as you go. It's outward focused. The Christian life is not about getting. It's about giving. 
It's not how much I can get or how much God can bless me and let me store up all these blessings. No. In fact, if we have that as our focus, it's wrong. And by the way, that's most of mainstream Christianity today, right? They're preaching some form of a prosperity gospel that if God is happy with you, you're going to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Does that mean God hates the people that love Him and get cancer? Well, if you believe what most of is being taught in pulpits today, you'd have to say that. We know that's the opposite. It's not about getting, it's about giving. The Christian life is about giving, and that runs exactly opposite to the tone of the day, which affords us an amazing opportunity to show Christ to people in a very real way, doesn't it? In many ways, the section here before us in verse 9 through verse 21, actually, is an unfolding of verse 9. Verse 9 starts with, let love be without dissimulation, or let love be without hypocrisy. In many ways, Paul is telling what it means to truly love as, as a servant of Christ. Paul is saying, here is what true and biblical love looks like. I mean, you're going you're to love that which is good. You're not going to love that which is evil. You're going to be kindly affectioned in brotherly love towards your brethren in the church. And, and you're going to prefer each other. And you're going to be fervent in spirit. You're going to be steadfast when hard times come. And, verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Paul makes some very simple statements here, but they're really gold mines when you start to think about it, about how we ought to uh, conduct ourselves, how we ought to care for people both within and without the body. So I want to spend some time that, with that this morning. Hopefully it can be helpful as the Lord leads. I want to start with this. I want to start with the obstacles to caring for other people's needs. What are some obstacles that will keep us from doing what is commanded to us in verse 13 and other places in Scripture? We've got to be aware of these things because they can stop it before they even start. What can hold us back from truly caring for others? Well, you could have your own list. There could be some things that come to your mind, but here's what the Lord's kind of laid on my heart. Number one is selfishness. We can be too selfish to help other people. Sounds harsh, but it's true, I think. If you dive down deep and you take a look at your own hearts and your own reactions, when somebody comes and asks you for money or when somebody needs money or somebody needs your time or somebody needs something from you and you are asked to give, and I'm talking about whether it's people within this church or other churches or your neighbors or your friends or maybe it's just somebody on the street that you come across. When the opportunity comes to give, whether it's time, money, resources, whatever, what is it that hinders us? What is the first thought? No, that's mine. That's my money. I don't have time. Why can't they do it? Why should they get my money? Maybe it takes different forms, but I think if we, we look down deep, maybe that's the first reaction that stops it before it even starts. And I get it. We could, we could raise all kinds of questions like, well, what are they going to do with the money? And what are, what are they going to do with this? Why do they need this? We can raise all kinds of questions, but I think one of the major roadblocks that stops us from 
being who we should be in these areas is an attitude or a heart of selfishness. You know, we're supposed to mature as we grow up, right? And we teach our kids not to be selfish. We teach them to share, right? Because you, you know how kids can be. That's mine. Don't touch it. That's mine. You can't play with it. How come he got more? Where's mine? And you try to cut... I don't know why parents fall into this trap, but you try to cut things equally. You try to give them both the same scoop of ice cream so one doesn't have bigger. So you try to avoid those things, right? Because you know what's going to come. Where's mine? That's mine. Some people never grow out of that. You know that, right? How come he got more... Why should I give with him? He's, it's mine. We can be pretty childish sometimes. Can I just say, maybe we have a wrong view of possessions. Maybe we have a wrong view of possessions that keeps us from being as generous as giving as we should be. Listen, We all here, I know the people here, I know you well, we all work hard to own or to to make a living and own earthly possessions. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. As long as it's in its proper priority, it's a good and a godly thing to provide for your family. So hear me. There's nothing wrong with owning stuff. And if God has blessed you with abundance, which I'll say right now, each and every one of us in this building live like kings compared to the rest of the world. We are amazingly, extremely blessed, and we ought to be amazingly, extremely thankful. We can whine about not having an extra bedroom in the house when some people don't even have a house. Some people are worrying. (laughs) Your kids ever do that? They open the fridge full of food and say, there's nothing to eat. I I did that yesterday. (laughs) Because it's not what I'm looking for is, is what the complaint is, but... I got a freezer packed full. I got. I have two refrigerators for crying out loud. I looked in both of them. There's nothing, and I, I found myself thinking that there's nothing to eat. Man, some people open cupboards and there is literally nothing to eat. Oh, we are blessed. We are blessed beyond measure. But still, we can, we can have a wrong view in of it. To 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 this extent, we got to keep in mind, in reality. All the things that we do have, all the things that we own, and all the things that we possess, in reality, they're not ours, they're God's. God has blessed us with them. He has allowed us to have these things. God, who's, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the Scripture says, God, whose is the earth and the fullness of it, everything on the face of this earth, in fact, everything within the universe, is God's. He made it. He owns it. And He distributes it as he sees fit. We're just stewards over it. To some he gives five talents. To some he gives two. To some he gives one. I don't know his reasoning, but he sees fit to bless us with different gifts, spiritual gifts, and also, I believe, earthly possessions. I don't know if I could handle being filthy, stinking rich. I'd probably spend it on the on the wrong things, and maybe that's why God has seen fit not to make me so. <laughs> I don't know. But he see, as He sees fit, blesses us with what we have. Go to First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to turn to uh, 
a few scriptures this morning, again, which I don't apologize for. This is church. It's okay to read the Bible. But I want you to see these things and as, as we go, that this is not just one little verse in the middle of the New Testament. It's a biblical principle. We're going to go to where David is, is um, praying for his son, for the temple that he's going to build. He's, he's offering up a prayer. And I want you to notice something that David says. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 6. We'll pick it up. So they're coming. They're bringing their offerings for the building of this temple. First Chronicles 29.6 Then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of the thousands of the hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. And they gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams of silver 10,000 talents of brass, 18,000 talents, and 100,000 talents of iron. This is a massive amount of material, okay? And they're just, they're bringing it because they're going to build the house of God. They're bringing it willingly. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. They're not grudging, are they? They're not saying, why should I give this? No, it's for the Lord they're giving willingly. You don't see a selfish heart there. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord God before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the, and in the earth is thine. It's all yours, Lord. All that's in heaven, all that's in earth, it's yours. And thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. They come from you. And thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee, we praise thy glorious name. Look at, notice verse 14. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. We're not great. David's saying, we're not great for offering all this stuff. We're just giving you back what you gave us. That's a right view of possessions, beloved. God has given me this. Should I not therefore use it to honor him? We are to be good stewards of what is already His. So then, as Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says, we are to honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Do you see? It's our perspective about it. If I view my possessions as blessings from God and I'm a steward that He has placed me over them, it's all His anyways, then I'm going to have the right mindset when it comes to being generous and being caring. It's going to open up the door. If God has provided, He will continue to provide for me and I ought to use it for His glory. That will help the roadblock of selfishness. Second thing that could take us back and keep us back from these, these commands that God has given, us to, given to us is a wrong view of church membership. Now that may seem like it's coming out of left field. Like What? Where did that come from? Well, listen now. One of the commands is going to be to take care of people within the body. 
and too many people view church membership as a country club mentality. You pay the dues, you get the perks. And if I pay more dues, I should get more perks. They're in it to gain. What can you do for me? And if you don't do what I think you should do for me, I'm out. Don't ask anything of me. I pay my dues here. What are you going to do for me? But truth be told, there's a lot of people that view being part of a church like that. That's not biblical. That is not in any way biblical. It is clear what the Bible says about being part of the church, that we are a vital part of a whole. We are a member of a body. And we just spent time with this. In fact, if you want to turn back to Romans chapter 12, I turned away. It's, we just studied that in verse 5. Romans 12 and 5 tells us this. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and everyone members of another. And he uses that analogy of the physical body. We are part of a body here, all joined together, members of each other. So when we are told to care for one another, it should make sense. Just like if you hurt a part of your body, you're going to take care of it, right? (laughs) Can you imagine if you hurt your arm or if you hurt your leg and the rest of your body said, again? Do we really have to limp around again? (laughs) It's not my fault you're a toe when you keep stubbing yourself. Grow up. Why should I help you? But yet, sometimes don't we see that in the body? We are members of each other. Let's not forget that because that could be a block from us doing what we should for one another, right? You are a vital part of the whole here. You support me and I support you and I need you and you need me as we all need Christ, right? We are here together in communion with one another. Keep those things in mind. We have those biblical perspectives in those two areas, a view of our possessions not being selfish and a a right view of church membership. I think it's going to help greatly as we seek to do what God asks in these areas. So if you're not in Romans chapter 12, turn back there and let's see what it says. In the first part of verse 13, it says, distributing to the needs of, or excuse me, distributing to the necessity of saints. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Distributing is a bit weak translation. Actually, it's a bit misfortunate as it gives a very clinical feeling, like you're just passing out, next, what's your number here? Here's what you need. Go on, like a soup line or something. No. The word is much deeper, and you should recognize it if you spend any kind of time in church. The word for distributing is koinoneo. Koinoneo. Well, we should be familiar with that word. You know what is translated in other places? Communion, partnership, fellowship, sharing. We are to be in communion with, in partnership with, sharing in each other's needs. Which... First means you need to know what's going on with each other. I mean, do we or are we too disconnected? Sometimes we could be so focused on our own needs, we don't have time to listen to others. It's that kind of selfish mindset again. 
sometimes we can be caught up in frivolous things in our life. And listen, I, I know we all face different things, so please don't take this the wrong way, but we can get caught up in something frivolous when our brother's going through hell and they need us. But you didn't get the 50 cent raise and you're just ticked off at God and you're just throwing a fit when you, your brother or your sister might be in dire need of you lifting them up. I'm reminded of Jeremiah when he's in the cistern. They throw him in the bo bottom of a cistern full of mud and mire. I mean, he, he's, been, he's been through a hard time anyways, and, and nobody's listening to his preaching, and people are out to kill him, and the king throws him in the bottom of this old well, and there's mud, and he's sinking, and he's going to die. But there's a beloved brother who pulls him out. He lets down ropes and he throws down some old rags. And rather than just pulling him out underneath his armpits, he says, hey, wrap these rags around the rope too so it doesn't hurt. And he pulls him up out of the mire. You know, sometimes we can be that for our brethren. To pull them gently out of the thing they might be going through. If we're listening if we're in communion and we know what's going on in each other's lives and we have that sensitive heart, too often we get disconnected from each other. It says here we are to be in communion with each other's needs. You and I should be in so communion with one another that when a need arises, we, we are quick to help. Again, some, you hurt something in your body, you know, right? Something's not right with my arm or my leg or my brain. That's for me. <laughs> Something's... Something's not right. We know there's a problem. And what do we do? We move quick to help or to shield or to protect it. It ought to be so within the body of Christ. We have that close, intimate connection that we do not share with the world. And so when a need arises, we go to meet it. I believe when he says necessities, talking about needs, and it's more than just spiritual, it's physical, it's money, it's food, it's clothing. It might be something they actually need and we ought to offer them more than prayers. Prayers, yes, but we ought to be quick to offer physical things. So turn with me. If not, you can listen. I want to speed it up a bit so we don't run out of time. In the book of James, James is writing, telling the beloved brethren about this. In chapter 2 and verse 14, James 2 and 14, it says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. We're good at that. Humanities, let me say, say that, because I actually think as a church we're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of us with the generous heart we have. Humanity, we're good at that, right? Oh, you need something? Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you. I got this stack of cash in my pocket. And a food, a cupboard full of food. I pray for you. Be warmed and filled. Depart in peace. We're good at doing that. James says this. If one of you say that, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What good does it do? It doesn't do any good. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone, we ought to back up our speech. Show our love by our actions. We see an a illustration of that in the early church in Acts chapter 2, right? We're familiar with that passage, Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost and the church is on fire. It says this, that 
All that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. Here's a way I take that to, to, uh, to read. There's a need come up, they would sell possessions and, and do what they had to do to take care of it. If there was a brother or sister in need, they would move to meet it, even if that mean, meant sacrificing things on their part. Yeah, taking care of each other might cost us. And if our perspective is wrong, then it can become a burden. It can become a root of bitterness, which the Lord warns against. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. The Lord says this, If there be among you a poor man, one of thy brethren, with any of the gates in the land which the Lord shall give thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shall surely lend him sufficient is for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thy eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. Just be careful when your brother's in need that you don't start looking down on him and your heart turn against him because he's in need. Because let me tell you right now, at some time or another, we're going to find ourselves needing the support of our brother. It may be spiritual, it may be in prayers, it may be physical. But we're going to find ourselves in the same place. If we're members one of another, then we will meet each other's needs as they were our own. We're going to meet each other's needs as if they were our own. I mean, have we thought like that? Have we ever have we have we considered it like that? Or is the the thought what is the least we can get by with? Because we don't want to go overboard in helping. We don't do that with ourselves, right? No. And I'm, t- I'm talking within the brethren, specifically here within this own body, but also our sister churches and our missionaries. We ought not to be selfish or stingy, but quick to share in the needs of our own people. After all, God has given us our resources not to pile up and sit and swim around in like some spiritual Scrooge McDuck. No, we're to use them for His glory, aren't we? Proverbs 19, verse 17, He that hath pity on the poor and lendeth to the Lord, that, excuse me, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will the Lord pay him again. God has provided us resources to use, and He will continue to provide if we use them for Him. One more thought on this, and we'll move quickly to the last point and be finished. But 1 John chapter 3. You know, it's a real way to show our love. It's a real practical way to show how much we care if one of us comes on need, uh, up upon a need and we're quick to, to move upon it. First John chapter 3 and verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I have no doubt how much God loves me. Why? He sent His only Son to die for me. He has backed it up by action. And what he's saying here is we ought to prove our love by action too. Verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, 
from him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. One simple statement Paul makes under the, uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, about which the Bible has much to say, tells us we are to care for one another as we would care for ourselves. Communing in the needs of the saints. But it's not just that. The, the verse doesn't stop there, and here's where we'll finish this morning. It says, given to hospitality. So, not only are we to care for the needs of those within the body, we are to care for the needs of those without the body. The word given is dioko, and it means to pursue, pursue like you're in a hunt. You're pursuing something, so we are to pursue hospitality. And that word hospitality is philonexia, literally the love of strangers. What Paul writes is pursue loving strangers. <laughs> Hold on, Paul. What are you talking about? Do you know what kind of world I live in? Do you, have you seen the people walking the streets? And you're going to tell me to do that? <laughs> Yeah, he is. This could have some implication because quite often people walking the streets and looking for places in Paul's day were Christians fleeing persecution. So there is that aspect of it. Like, hey, that person coming to your door needing a place to sleep just might be a brother. Don't turn him away. Pursue hospitality. But I think it has application, a wider application too, right? I mean... Let's think about it. How do we treat strangers? You know, the people we walk by every day or the people that walk up to us, are we gruff and rude and short? Because that's the tone of the day. Most people carry themselves in a way that says, stay away from me, don't talk to me. You don't want to mess with me. <laughs> do we walk through the stores like that? Do we walk up to the stores? I'm too busy for you. Don't you dare ask me for anything. I've got stuff to do. Do we carry ourselves that way so much that it really catches you off guard when somebody smiles and says, how are you doing? Or gives you a compliment? And it's absolutely mind-blowing and flabbergasting when you have a conversation with somebody you don't even know. <laughs> and you walk away saying, man, that was really nice. You ever done that? Wow, they're such a nice person. That was really cool. Beloved, that should be us. That should be us. Initiating those conversations, giving those smiles, stopping and being that refreshing breath of fresh air to strangers, shouldn't it? I am always, I'm always shamed and blown away when I can meet somebody in a store and it, it may just be, hey, how's your day going or whatever, and the conversation goes and they bring it to spiritual terms. Oh, God is so good. Oh, man, it should have been me. I should have brought that up first. But you know how, you know how refreshing it is when somebody talks about God and, and how much God has blessed them and it, it turns spiritual. That ought to be us pursuing that with perfect strangers. Looking to, for ways to help those around us. We go to the sheriff's station. We go to the fire station. I don't know those people. I respect them. I don't know them. But you know what? I want to be a blessing to them. If I can just leave some waters with them and open the door and say a prayer. You know what? We ought to pursue things like that. 
We ought to seek to be a blessing and help those around us from all walks of life and all circumstances, whether it's a sheriff or a fireman or a councilman or a homeless man. What way can I be a blessing? It's not up to me to worry what they may do with money that I give. If I have it, give it and give the gospel. You've got a captive audience. Listen, my friend, I'll give you this, but there's something Jesus has that He wants to give you that's infinitely worth more, worth more. Am I seeking for those opportunities? Listen, this way of thinking, we don't have time to, to kind of dive into it, but this way of thinking runs so anti-culture, doesn't it? But that's exactly who we are, are we not? We are not of this world. We are lights in the darkness. And little things like that could shine the light in a very bright way. Given to hospitality. Hospitality is what it sounds like. It could mean open your home. Which sounds nuts. (laughs) Opening my home. Some of you don't even do it for church people. You ought to start. I'll just say that. But opening my home to strangers? Listen, I get the safety of your family, of course. But you could start with your neighbors. You could start with your friends and your co-workers. You could share a meal and let the Lord use that setting to do some work on people's hearts. You know, there are many a testimony that started with hospitable Christians. Just a meal. Just a time of fellowship. Maybe bringing them into the home or whatever it is. And planted seeds and opened doors and God used that to save people. Many a testimony begins like that. Jesus had quite a bit to say about this. Luke chapter 14, we'll finish up here. Luke chapter 14, as he's teaching his disciples. He says this, verse 12. Then he said also to them that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest also they bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. We're we're comfortable with some people having them in, right? Look what Jesus says. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Call those who really need the Lord. You could be a far bigger blessing in that way. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this, a principle I think it's good to leave with. Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, and the goats on His left. And then shall the king say to them on His right hand, Come ye, my blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen to this principle. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw thee we hungered or fed thee or thirsty or gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger and 
took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw thee, we, when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it to me. There ought to be within us a generous heart. Whether it be our beloved brethren, or whether it be the precious creation of God that we pass on the street, there ought to be an attitude of caring and an attitude of giving. <laughs> Paul says, be careful. Be generous. In Hebrews chapter, well, Paul, the writer, says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, listen to this. Remember Hebrews, no, where to go? Oh, yes, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Be not forgetful or neglectful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I'm just going to leave that. I'm not going to try to interpret it away. Because Abraham did. The people that entertained strangers, they didn't know, and in, in so doing, there was angels. And I wonder how many people I've passed on the street or people that have come up to me. might have been a test from God. Go as far as that with what you want. All I'm saying is the Bible tells us to have a caring, generous heart. To be in communion with the needs of one another and pursuing hospitality with those around us. One short verse with huge implications that run deep in Scripture. That tell us our life is not to be selfishly inwardly focused, but selflessly outward focused. To commune with those who we are members one of another with, to be sharing in our needs, and to be pursuing love, a caring and love, a loving attitude with those that we don't share that communion with. And perhaps if you're like me, you need to check your heart on this a little bit. Maybe we're good at taking care of each other, but not so good at pursuing strangers, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe we just need strength to continue, but this is a biblical principle we have to make sure we're doing right on. It's not to be neglected. In fact, it's a very real way we can show and people can feel the love of Christ. Because after all, did not Christ give His all for us when we were but strangers? Did He not pursue us in the filth and stink and blasphemy of our sins? In fact, the Bible tells us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you know those people you might meet that might seem a little too messy, a little too dirty, a little too complicated. Ask the Lord to soften our hard heart to see past that to the creation of God that needs salvation. Because there is nobody on the face of this earth beyond the power of God's salvation the blood of Christ can cleanse us from all sin maybe we ought to look at our fellow man like that and did he not love us enough to commune does, does he not love us enough to commune with us in our every need you need help who do you go to first God well shouldn't we love each other that way as Christ our head loves us I think we ought to do the same beloved let us commune together with the needs of the saints and let us pursue loving those around us. Just bow our head. Father, we come to you and
thank you for your great love toward us and your great grace and mercy toward us, toward us in our needs. Lord, we ask that you please help us to consider the text before us, this biblical principles of being caring and loving for those within our body and those without, and help our hearts where they're hard and uh, maybe where they're selfish and maybe where we think along the wrong lines, Lord, and help us to instead open our hearts and open our hands and open our minds to truly showing uh, care and love to those around us. I ask that you use this message as you see fit. May you receive all the glory. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.